Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. Yes! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm Jason Powers. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Before we get to our episode this week, I want to mention our sponsors. First off, if you want to reach out to us, reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. Let us know how what you think, how we're doing, got any suggestions for us, topics you'd like to see us cover. And now to our sponsors, Titan Home Lending. If you are anywhere in the state of Florida and you need to get financed for a home purchase, for a refinance, for a renovation, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, area code 205-790-1404. We work with veterans, first responders. We have access to conventional loans, FHA loans, VA loans, jumbo loans, and everything in between. So reach out to us at Titan Home Lending, 205 205- and let me put you in that home of your dream. Ultimate Health Plans. If you have a relative or if you are of the age to take advantage of Medicare benefits, reach out to Patrick Highland at area code 813-966-1052 for all of your Medicare needs. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Down here in Tampa, it is divisional weekend in the National Football League. We are going to be talking all things NFL uh, divisional round. We're going to talk some, we're going to recap the NCAA National Championship game down in Miami this past Monday. And we are very excited to have Mr. Mike Neighbors on board. Mike is the, works for Cox Sports Television in New Orleans. He does Saints pre and post game. He does an exclusive interview interview with Drew Brees every week. We're going to talk with Mike about the Bucks Saints huge matchup in the divisional round. Mike also has a couple of other projects going on that we're going to get into. And also, Mike is a Tuscaloosa not native, but he has many years of work experience in Tuscaloosa. We're going to get his opinion on the Alabama Crimson Tide, the dynasty that has developed down there in Tuscaloosa. So, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Good to be on with you, my friend. Uh... I appreciate your time. It's been fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I know you've been busy all year covering the Saints. Mike covers the Saints. Now, you've been going to every game, correct? Home and away. Is that right? Yeah, I'm amazed by it. I mean, if you would have asked me back in August if we were going to, A, have a football season, I would have said no way. And if we do, we're going to have interruptions. But I didn't think we would travel. You know, when I covered the first game when the Saints played the Bucks, there were even reservations about the media being able to go to Las Vegas, which was the Saints' second game. So the fact that A, I've been to every game, and B, we haven't had an interruption, I think you got to give the NFL a lot of credit. Now, I've been critical of Roger Goodell and a lot of their policies, but man, they've been great about using all their resources really the whole offseason to make sure it's been business as usual. Didn't have preseason games, which I thought was a great move, but the fact that they haven't missed games, only a few delays, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I know. 
give give the fans a sense of what you had to go through when you would go on a road trip or even to the Superdome, kind of the day of as far as testing and just those kind of things. Give the fans a sense of what you had to go through. Well, I feel for the fans because the Superdome obviously is one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. And Bruce Arians even said the first time the Bucks played the Saints, he didn't even like it. He'd rather hear booze than hearing an AC vent because it's so quiet and hollow in that place. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite stories was uh, the second game when the Saints played in Las Vegas. It's a brand new stadium. And with the Monday night football, I had to do my pregame show outside. So the PR staff, and I didn't have a photographer because it was limited travel. So I had the laptop that I'm on right now and I had it on a garbage can. So I'd get the perfect <laughs> framing. It was a brand new garbage can though. Wow. Brand new stadium. <laughs> if you're watching from home, it looked great. But That's awesome. from my perspective, I was actually having a laptop on a trash can and we made it work. And I remember Soldier Field this year, I was on the steps and the wind gust was really heavy. The Windy City, obviously. I thought the laptop was going to be like Wizard of Oz. I could fly out of my hands and fly 100 feet in the air. And uh, just thankful to be working, thankful that it's all worked. And, uh, you know, we had a terrible Wi-Fi connection in Atlanta because they had to do it outside at their new stadium. And we made it work. So we, like the NFL, remarkably, it's worked every week somehow. That's great. That's great. That's great. Mike, uh, Mike's been in the business 25 years. He's worked television stations he's worked for teams he's worked all over the country and we're going to hit on a couple places he's worked and um so you're, you're going to get a great perspective on the on the world of media through mike's eyes here today so let's get to the national championship game monday night in miami alabama ohio state obviously alabama rolled rolled the buckeyes pretty good you have have, have the distinct pleasure you actually worked in the tuscaloosa market for four years you were the sports director there in tuscaloosa actually about the same time I was in Birmingham at UAB wrapping up. So, and I actually remember watching you on TV a few really? times because we would get the Tuscaloosa channel. We would get the Tuscaloosa news oh. channel. And I would be able to see the sports cast and things like that occasionally. And I, I do remember seeing you on TV. So talk about your time working in Tuscaloosa and just the environment of that, of that town and how much that college football means to that town. Well, first of all, if you remember my sports cast back then, erase those from your memory. Because <laughs> I was a young lad back then just trying to find my way. Yep. But those were great times. I mean, I remember graduating from the University of Florida. And I've been wanting to do this since I was in fourth grade and just hoping there was a chance. So I remember I didn't get a job in Nagadoches, Texas, because I looked too young. And I would have gone anywhere. I would have gone to Tacoma, Washington. But of all places that I end up, it's Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I was so excited to get that job. And Jason, I didn't see him lose for a year and a half. Right. My first year was 92. Gene Stallings, who's one of my favorite coaches of all time. Right. Gene Stallings. I mean, he was, he's just tremendous man and just great to work with. They didn't lose for a year and a half. They won the national title the first year I was there. Really. It's just a legendary type field to Tuscaloosa. You know, every, every place that you would go, every restaurant would have a framed picture of Bear Bryant. And I was kind of kidding my friends on Twitter this week. That's That was my first memory of Tuscaloosa. Right. And I go back periodically. I haven't been in a few years, but I would imagine there's also a framed picture of Nick Saban, right, next to Bear Bryant <laughs> in all those restaurants. If there's not, there should be. And as much as I respect Bear Bryant and all the great things he did, obviously recruiting black athletes before many coaches did. He was an innovator in so many ways. It's more impressive what Nick Saban's done. I mean, the transfer portals, all the social media and recruiting, all the craziness. And right. you know, he resisted the high tempo offenses. And then he said, OK, well, if I'm going to do this, 
I'm going to hire young guns like Lane Kiffin and Steve Starkeesian, and we're going to beat everybody. And that's a sign to me of a great head coach that he can not only win defensively, but he can beat you anyway. And my question with Saban, though, Jason, is how much longer is he going to do it? I mean, I know. I... He, he still looks good, and you know he still loves it. Can he do it five more years? And if he does it five more years, will he win like three more? Right. And I, I never say never in sports, but if he keeps it going – I don't know anybody that could possibly catch him, especially given these times. It's what makes Belichick so special in the NFL with the salary cap. And Saban's doing the same thing in college football with all the different uh, restraints. Oh, there's no doubt, especially, you know, this year we had so many of the other, these other teams around the country getting decimated by COVID. You really never heard that coming out of Tuscaloosa. And, and part of it is they have an unlimited budget out to, to some degree where they can afford to test guys every single day if they need to, or a lot of schools were only doing it two or three times a week where at Alabama, they're going to test them every single day if they have to, to make sure those guys stay healthy. And you didn't hear any COVID issues coming out of Tuscaloosa. Whereas on the Ohio state side, they were without four or five guys Monday night that, you know, we're probably would be, again, the outcome wouldn't have been any different. Alabama was going to win that game, but still just the, the dedication and the, and the, like he says, the process, he's all about the process and the organization and all that stuff. Going back to going back to 92, if you recall, 92, folks, was the year that Alabama beat Miami in the Superdome in the Sugar Bowl. Nobody predicted that. Nobody. Right, right. And, I mean, that was the, you know, and Alabama hadn't won a national title in probably 13 years, well, like 79, 78 or 79. Right. So it had been a long drought in Gene Stallings, the, 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 the son, you know, how, how was that experience covering the team during that kind of season where it kind of came out of the blue? You know what stands out about that year and that game? Nobody had – Alabama beat Miami. Miami was so good. It was such a dynasty back then. But that play where George T came from behind Lamar Thomas and not only, you know, stripped the ball, but kept running with it. Right. Honestly, you know, there was a penalty on that play. But it was, to me, the, the defining moment of that game. First of all, Lamar Thomas was never the same player after that. It's like he stripped all his swag out of, out of Lamar <laughs> Thomas yeah. on that play. And, and another thing that amazes me, though, is that was just a team – when you talk about Alabama's defense, because think about Jason, they had so many great players on that defense, but none of them were elite NFL players. Right. Antonio Langham was a decent player in the NFL. Teague was a decent player. Korean Copeland never really stood out. Even like Sam shade was a decent player. Right. That's what was remarkable. They were a good college team and one of the best college defenses ever. And then Jay Barker, you know, he wasn't a great quarterback in 92, ended up being a really good college quarterback the next two years. So, it was just classic Alabama running the football defense. You know, I, I thought Florida may beat him in that SEC championship. Right, right. That famous don't... game, that famous game in Birmingham, that cold yeah. day in Birmingham. I remember, you know, I went to Florida and I remember thinking it's so weird to be covering Alabama. And then my assignment for that game was to do a sidebar. And then it looked like Florida was going to win. So I didn't know what it was going to be. And then, oh, okay, Antonio Langham. Oh, it's an interception. There's <laughs> yeah. a stop bar. There, there it is right there. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, and people don't realize Alabama was winning games that year, 14 to 10, 21 to 14. I mean, they weren't scoring 30 and 5 and 40 points. It was a grinded out kind of game, old school college football back then. And Dabo Sweeney was a walk-on wide receiver on the University of Alabama who caught a few passes during the year. I mean, he contributed. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how you never know in life. Somebody would have told you back then that Dabo Sweeney is going to go on to be one of the most successful head coaches in the history of college football. 
it really gives you hope because that's what's great about covering sports is you look back and you thought, man, that all those guys on defense are going to be great pros. And then Stablo Sweeney is the guy who's the, really the marquee Hall of Fame type guy from that right. team. So you right. just never, you never know. It is crazy. It's crazy to think. And um, so I, I know, like I said, I'm sure you enjoy it. And again, Tuscaloosa, for those of you that don't know, is such a college town. And that whole state of Alabama just lives and dies Alabama football. 365 days a year, a day like today in the middle of January, people are talking Alabama football, middle of March, they're talking Alabama football. And it's just, it's just a, it's a fun place to live for, for a period of time. If you live, if you're a true sports fan. It really is. I mean, it's the quintessential college town. And I tell you the food there is unbelievable, best barbecue and, and it keeps getting better. And it's gotten a little bigger since I lived there. Yeah. But uh, I, I love going there to eat too, man. There's so many great places. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like I said, everyone had a Bear Bryant picture in it, but I remember a place called Mama Jewels, and, and the places that aren't there anymore have been replaced by, frankly, places that are as good, if not better. I mean, it's just, it's a unique place because you don't remember, like, the chains and stuff. It, it has its own unique uh, hole-in-the-wall type places there. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. All right, well, let's transition to the National Football League. A lot of people think this is the most, the, the best weekend of the year for the NFL. It's a divisional weekend. You got the final eight teams and four in each conference. We've kind of whittled down the wild cards a little bit. Before we get to the Bucks Saints, are there any matchups or any of these matchups that you like that, that really stick out to you outside of the Bucks and Saints? If it was my money, it'd be hard for me to bet on any of these. I mean, I, I, I'd give Cleveland you know, 10 points. I still don't think they're going to cover against the Chiefs. And, right. you know, I think the one that sticks out maybe is Baltimore could upset Buffalo. Right. If I had to pick of any, any of them, I would pick that one just because I think this Baltimore team is really good on both sides of the ball. And you wonder if Buffalo is ready for prime time yet. Right. A young football team who hasn't tasted a lot in the playoffs. So that would be the one I'd pick, you know, in the NFC, all the saints fans obviously want the Rams to beat the Packers. Frankly, they wanted the bucks to play up there because I think, you know, I'll get to the matchup with the bucks and the saints in a little bit, but I really think, as you know, it's all about matchups in football, yep. especially the NFL. Yep. And I think actually the bucks may match up, against the Packers better than the Saints would against the Packers. It's just that good of a matchup. And the Saints lost against the Packers this year. The Bucks beat them in their most impressive win of the year. Right. So I think they're buying New Orleans before the playoffs thinking, okay, we'll beat Chicago, hopefully. Then hopefully we'll play Seattle at home. The Bucks will take care of the Packers. We'll play the Bucks at home for the championship game. But here we are. It's just a week earlier. That's and right. I don't think the Rams can beat the Packers, even if Aaron Donald's healthy. The Packers haven't beaten a lot of winning teams this year. But let's face it, in the NFC, there's not a lot of winning teams. So you can't blame them and the schedule they played. But to answer your question, I would say Baltimore over Buffalo. And it's hard for me to pick another underdog this week. And it's interesting this week, outside of the Bucks and the, the Saints, all three of the other matchups are involving teams that haven't played each other this year. So it's very unfamiliar, you know, you know with the Bucks and Saints, have a definite scouting report of, and they're very familiar with these other three matchups. They haven't played against each other. Like you said, the Aaron Donald injury is interesting. You got the weather in Buffalo. How's that going to affect Lamar Jackson? Um, you know, if it's really cold or snowing or something like that. So it's going to be, and like you said, Buffalo, can they handle the primetime lights of really prime time? Cause this is going to be Saturday night's game, NBC, everybody in the country is watching it. And it's a game where a lot of people think Buff it's a toss up game. So I'm with you. I think uh, I think the the Baltimore Buffalo game is the interesting one, and, I, and I'm with you. I don't think I don't think the Rams can beat Green Bay, and I don't think Cleveland can beat Kansas City. So, um, you know, 
But again, lots of people think this is the best weekend of the year in, 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 in the NFL. All right, let's get to the matchup then, the showdown of the Hall of Famers, Brady, Breeze, Bucks, Saints, round three. First question I have for you. Obviously, you you know Drew very well. You do post-game interview with him every week. I know he's not said it, but in your opinion, do you think this is the, the, the final run for Drew? Absolutely. I'd be shocked if he comes back, win or lose, against the Bucs. I've heard some national people say, well, maybe if he loses this game, he'll come back. Jason, I thought he'd retire after last season. I, yeah. I talked to him at the Pro Bowl, and we had a lengthy interview about TV work because I knew a lot of networks were pursuing him and then it ended up being correct because NBC uh, signed him to that contract. Drew is very uh, measured with his words, but when he talked about being a TV analyst, he was passionate about it and he was excited about it. So I thought something's up here. He has something on the table here and it ended up he did, but behind the scenes, a lot of the, you know, half the Saints team was there at the Pro Bowl and they told him, let's make one more run. You know, we have the core, let's do it. And that was a big part of it. And I just can't see him coming back, especially after having injuries the last couple of years and having that growing family. And, you know, he wants to play with that family for years to come and enjoy that family for years to come. So I think a big part of it for Drew was he wanted his boys to remember him playing. And, you know, I remember when he broke the record for all time passing yards it was late. It was a primetime game and his three sons were behind the camera when we were doing the interview and I had him come on and I could see in his eyes, that's exactly what he wanted. He was hoping he'd play just so as long so they could remember. And obviously he's achieved that. So I would be stunned if he came back win or lose, even if they can't make a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl this year. How do you how do you think the effect of the no crowd? I mean, what tell me what the crowd situation is in New Orleans. Are they having nobody there? Or are they having a couple thousand? Or what's the what's the number it looks like? It was 3,000 against Chicago. I think it's going to be about the same for the Bucks game. And I credit Bruce Arians for saying, man, I just want to hear a crowd. I don't care right. if they're booing us. I want the energy. You know, he remembers uh, the first game this year when the Saints played the Bucks, where it was – you could hear the AC vents in there. That's not the right. Superdome. That's not – I mean, coaches, I don't care who you are or players. You love – you feed off that the road environment, the cheers, the booze, the whole thing. And I hate to say I've gotten used to it, but covering all these games this year, you know, the piped in crowd noise and Denver, they didn't have any fans, Las Vegas, they didn't have any fans. It was just weird, Jason. I didn't like it. You know what? I have two girls who are in school still and I feel for them. I feel for young people around the country who can't go to school and are, are missing it because of this COVID craziness. And I feel for NFL fans in a kind of a similar fashion because, you know, Drew Brees comes back from his injury and plays the Chiefs. That should have been an electric Superdome. Sure. Christmas Day, they had a game. There's hardly any fans there. And that could go on and on around the country. Everybody feels the same way. But conversely, I think it's good for the Bucks because they don't have to deal with the crowd. Right, noise. right. And the only home field advantage anybody has, frankly, is Green Bay and Buffalo where it's cold. The weather. Baltimore's right. not used to that kind of cold. And whomever wins this game, and if you know the Rams do lose, which we expect they do, Green Bay is going to be tough playing up there. Absolutely, absolutely. Give me your thoughts on the on the on the task for the Saints to beat the Bucks three times in a year. You know, it doesn't it's it does, there are not a lot of years where there's three matchups between a team. And actually, if you look at the numbers, the team that's beat them twice actually has done a pretty good job of beating them that third time. What are your thoughts on the, on the task of having to try to beat the same team three times? 
Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the Saints have actually done it recently. They beat the Carolina Panthers three times when they had Cam Newton, the third one, obviously, in the playoffs. I saw a stat since 1970. You've had 21 instances where teams have won twice and had to play another team three times. Remarkably, of those 21 games, 14 times that team has won. I know. Times. And so seven times, obviously, they didn't come through. Here's my take on all that. It doesn't matter once they kick it off. It doesn't, unless I think one team starts, the team that's won twice has a quick start. Then I think it may mentally Absolutely. go over to that other sideline a little bit. I don't care if they want to admit it or not. And conversely, that team that's leading, who's won twice, they're thinking, man, we're going to beat this team three times. Let's don't take the foot off the gas. So that's why the start in this game is crucial, especially for the Saints and the Bucs too. But for the team that's won twice, I think that could be key. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from the Bucs perspective, I think they've clearly gotten better the last five weeks or so in rhythm, especially offensively compared to back to the Sunday night game when that was Antonio Brown's first game. The Bucs give the Saints full credit. They came down here and they hammered the Bucs. The game was over after the first drive. I mean, they went down the field. They hammered them, give them full credit. But I think you're going to see a different, you know, I think the, the offensive rhythm of the Buccaneers is much better. And let's talk about your Saints defense. That's the one part the last several years that we always had questions about. But this year, that has been the strength of that team has been the defense. You're dead on. Everybody nationally talks about the offense. And the offense has been the calling card since Sean Payton arrived. That's why Drew Brees is, is Drew Brees. And he's a future Hall of Famer. But the defense to me has been the story recently. Drew Brees said this. In a press conference last week, I thought it was interesting that he's felt like since he's been in New Orleans since 06, he's been on four different teams. You have the 06 to 09 bunch, and then you have the 09 to 2013. Right. And then you have the three, seven, and nine years. Yeah. And then you have the team from 2017 to now. Now, those first three teams were dominated by Drew Brees. In fact, when they lost three straight, when they had three straight seven and nine years, People in New Orleans were saying, you're wasting Drew Brees. You don't have a defense. But since 2017, they've had a defense. And that defense has gotten better and better and better. In the last two years, when Brees has gone down to injury, yeah, Bridgewater was 5-0. and Taysom Hill was 3-1. and But the defense is the reason that they only lost one game without Drew Brees. But here's what I point to when looking at this matchup that really stands out. As much as I want to brag about the Saints defense and talk them up, they didn't play well early in the year. They lost to Las Vegas. They lost to Green Bay. They should have lost to the Chargers on Monday Night Football. Right. But what they didn't do, they didn't lose to the Bucs <laughs> in that first game. Yeah. Norris Jenkins had a pick six. Yep. And handled Tom Brady in that first game. Now, I get it. Brady, it was his first game. He's learning the offense. He's much more comfortable now. But it all goes back to the biggest key for me. This team, this Saints team, just matches up well against the Bucs. Bucks have all these shiny toys, all these wide receivers, all these tight ends, but the Saints have DBs and safeties that can cover them. Yep. They have linebackers that are versatile, and most importantly, they have the best defensive line in football that can go against the Bucks offensive line that, to me, is overpaid and banged up in spots, especially with Alex Kappa being out yep. and Aaron Stenny being in. So I think the matchups favor the defense. Here's something that could help the Bucks though. Remember that first game when Jason Pierre-Paul dropped that sure pick six? Yes. They need to play like that early. They need a play that changes the tone of that game. Yep. That could have changed the tone in that game, but it didn't. Much like last week, the Bears had that gadget play where they dropped the pass in the end zone. I still don't think the Bears would win that game, but the Bucs – Changed the whole complexion. 
changed the whole mood, it did. the whole demeanor and atmosphere of the Bears, especially the Bears' defense. They yes. they they played really well for three quarters in that game. I mean, and if that game was seven to three or ten to seven, Chicago at the half, the yeah. mindset of uh oh, here we go again for the Saints comes into play. If the, if that happens, and I'm with you, I think that was the play of the day was when he dropped that ball. And you look at it though. Okay, you take that playoff because he didn't catch the ball. But then Taysom Hill fumbles. Right. And the Bears could have scored a touchdown there. The Saints D held him to a field goal. Right. But they shouldn't have even been put in that situation because of the turnover. They could have easily shut out the Chicago Bears without maybe their best player this year, Trey Hendrickson, who's led him in sacks with 13 and a half. I think he's kind of iffy for this game. We'll see what happens. But if he's back, he had a huge game against that Bucks O-line when they dominated the Bucks 38-3 to a few months ago. And I think, I think a key to this game is also, like you talked about, the, the start of the game. I think the key, one of the keys is going to be the emotions because the Bucks and Saints have had some emotional uprisings in years past. Lattimore and Mike Evans, Jameis Winston was involved in some stuff. I think which team plays under control and doesn't get that stupid 15-yard penalty, doesn't get that taunting foul, doesn't do the stupid thing, doesn't jump off sides on fourth and three when we all know they're trying to jump, get them to draw. I think those are the, the, the mental and the emotional parts of this game. It's not it's, the X's and O's, they know each other so well. I think it's the emotional things that, that will play a key in this ballgame. Well, speaking of emotion, you got CJ Garner Johnson who loves playing that mind game. I got I to gotta tell you, I'm, I'm intrigued. Because at some point in that game, he's going to try to mess with Antonio Brown. Sure. Antonio Brown's been that model citizen. You wonder if he is that guy that's going to try to walk as close to that line. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. I just, to me, that's a that's the game within a game that I yeah. want to see. But, you know, Antonio Brown's the veteran. I think, you know, you don't, I don't know if he's learned. We'll see what happens. I've been, you know, waiting to see week by week how he acts on and off the field. But C.J. Garner-Johnson, the Saints love him as a player, but I know behind the scenes they have to be telling him, listen, keep doing what you're doing, but you got to make sure that you don't do it at a crucial point in a game because I think this game will be close. I do too. You can't, you can't have you know, him doing any kind of knucklehead stuff that's going to hurt his football team. Absolutely. And back to your last comment, we'll, and we'll get, we'll get out of here on, as far as the prediction. Offensive versus the, the Bucks offensive line, can they keep Brady upright? Because I think if they can keep him upright, they're going to find some, some options, especially with the, the emergence of Antonio Brown. Cam Brake played really well last Saturday in Washington. You got Gronkowski still. So if they can keep Brady upright in, in both matchups, the Saints defensive line dominated the Bucks offensive line. And Gronk may be the MVP not catching a, a ball in this game by just blocking and being that max protect guy. Right. You know, we saw it against Washington. I mean – he could have had a touchdown. He was out of bounds on that one play, but he was, a, you know how Gronk is. He's an exceptional blocker, and people forget about that a lot of times because they see all the splash plays that he makes. Here's another X factor. You're a former kicker, so you'll definitely appreciate this. Will Lutz has been a standout kicker for the New Orleans Saints, but yep. Jason, he's missed five of his last nine field goals. He did. He struggled a lot down the stretch, for sure. Yeah, and he's only missed more than five field goals once in a whole season his whole career right. and that was his first year so they can't afford in all these close games to have cj garner johnson with a flagrant foul or right. continue to drive for tom brady giving him more momentum and they got to have will lutz making those kicks especially because breezy's in 100 percent and this offense is still trying to find itself what do you think do you think the the do you think that last week with thomas coming back and kamara to me again another big matchup for the buccaneers defensively is 
go, is covering Kamar coming out of the backfield. Not necessarily the running game as much, but he is just so deadly coming out of the backfield on those arrow routes and on those swing passes. That, to me, is a huge matchup, Devin White versus Alvin Kamara. Yeah, because, I mean, Todd Bowles, you give him a lot of credit because that's the number one run defense in the NFL, not only last year, but this year without Vita Vea. So I agree. If the running backs are going to make some noise, it's got to be out of the backfield. You know, Drew Brees, I don't know if you saw the play last week where he found Latavius Murray, who was the blocker on the play. He gets up after making the block, catches it, and scores. And Brees told me he was the fourth read, fourth or fifth read on that play. Wasn't even supposed to be a part of the equation. So – he needs the outlet of a Camara of a Latavius Murray to complement everything. And I know the Saints wanted the top seed, but I think if they keep winning in these playoffs and they ultimately make the Super Bowl, they'll look back and say it was good that we had that first game to get everybody back, shake off the rust, get our rhythm back. And really, to me, I want to see Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas both contributing the same way because when Thomas has been out Emmanuel Sanders has been terrific and we thought all offseason finally Michael Thomas has help if those two guys can really start spreading things out it'll open things up for the Jared Cooks the Camaras you know the Deontay Harris's all Bruce Arians Bruce Arians made a comment in his press conference Monday about Deontay Harris he played great against Chicago about that x factor that slot guy with some he's got some quickness and and some and some breakaway speed and I don't think the Bucks had to deal with that in the first two matchups not at all because he was a special teams guy he great return guy he caught a little bit last year but he was kind of catching his stride earlier in the year then he had the neck injury What's amazing about that is real telltale sign for the Saints. Deontay Harris is one of six undrafted guys in the 2019 draft class that has made this football team. Wow. Not only have they drafted well, but they've done well in free agency too. Absolutely. All right, prediction time. Give me a, give me a, give me a prediction. I think it's a much better game than the last time these two teams played. Brady's better. Antonio Brown's better. The offense is better. But the Saints are better too, and this defense is better. I just think it's a bad matchup for the Bucs. It's a great matchup for the Saints. It's a closer game, goes to the fourth quarter, but I think the Saints win 34 to 31, and Will Lutz gets the game winner and he gets redemption. There you go. There you go. All right, I'm going to hold my prediction for later in the podcast, <laughs> but uh, I think you probably have an idea which way I'm going to lean. But all right, let me get you out of here on this. Talk to me about you, Mike. For those who don't know, Mike does a great series through the Saints organization called Aaron's. Give the folks a little little uh, background on what Aaron's is. And he, you've had guys like Archie Manning, Deuce Staley, Pat Swilling, Joe Horn. Give the, give the audience a little idea what it is and where they can find it. Yeah, it's a, it's a concept we're hoping to take all over the country. We're talking to colleges. We're talking to NFL teams. And we want to get to know sports personalities better. You know, press conferences, pre-COVID and one-on-one interviews, it's hard to get to know these guys. So we arrange a situation where we pick them up. They pick three errands of their choice, sometimes two, two to three. We run errands with them. But the great thing is we have conversations in the car, and we've made it work during COVID. Archie Manning, as you mentioned, we wore a mask. We did Morton Anderson. We've done 14 with the Saints. They like our concept. And um, other networks and schools and teams are taking notice. So I appreciate the plug. But just go to YouTube, do Aaron Saints or Aaron's Dick Vitale, and you'll see them. Yeah, I, I definitely would recommend it. I've, I watched, I've watched several of them. They've been, they're very well done. Mike, you're doing a great job with that. You guys just get in a car and you drive around for a couple hours and you chit chat about all parts of their life. And, foot, and a lot of it's not even football. It's stuff away from football, mm-hmm. you know, their family life, their, their upbringing, all that stuff. So I think it's just a, it's a great concept and continue success with that. 
and want to thank you, Mike, for coming on. And you'll enjoy, when do you head? When do you typically head to New Orleans? Saturday. Saturday morning. Yeah, we have a pregame show uh, Sunday morning, and it's always a fun week because I do a lot of Tampa media too. And our postgame show has been interesting with the Zoom interviews. The Saints have been great about getting us interviews. And I kind of hold the laptop differently so you can see the field behind me. Uh, <laughs> press boxes all over the country this year, so we've we've learned to kind of roll with it. Just thankful to be working, Jason. Thankful that we have football. Yes, the fans were in there, but I hope everybody enjoys the games this weekend. Awesome, man. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time. Man. You do a great job with the Saints, and I know you do a lot of stuff in the Tampa Bay area uh, with corporations and all different kind of groups of con continued success, and we'll have you now next time here. I appreciate you joining us. Anytime, my friend. Uh, all the best with the podcast moving forward. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, have, and we'll be right back. Thanks again to Mike Neighbors of Cox Sports Television for his fantastic insight on the New Orleans Saints. His thoughts on Alabama and the Crimson Tide and reliving his previous working experience in Tuscaloosa. Give a quick update as we head before we before I give you my picks for the NFL wild card. A couple of updates on a couple of late-breaking stories here. Bill O'Brien looks to be the leading candidate to be named the new offensive coordinator at Alabama to replace Sarkeesian who took the Texas job. So look for Bill O'Brien, the former Houston Texans head coach, general manager, who has some ties with Bill Belichick. And obviously Belichick and Nick Saban are very tight. So looks to be Nick Bill O'Brien as the new OC in Tuscaloosa for the 2021 year. Want to congratulate the Tampa Bay Lightning. They opened their defense of their Stanley Cup tonight in Tampa. They had their ceremony, and unfortunately, in front of an empty empty arena in Amelie Arena tonight in Tampa. But they opened their 2021 defense of their Stanley Cup title at home against the Chicago Blackhawks. So congratulations to the Lightning on their second Stanley Cup victory that they won in the bubble up in Canada this last offseason. Also, a huge trade in the NBA just went down involving James Harden. Harden gets shipped from Houston to Brooklyn and the Nets. The Nets now have Harden, Kevin Durant, and the disgrunt and the lunatic that we call Kyrie Irving, which I have no idea why Kyrie Irving has not been suspended by the Nets for his just failure to show up to work. This guy doesn't ever want to play. If I'm the Nets, if there's any way in the world I give the guy away to, to whoever for nothing, the guy is nothing but a cancer on that team. You now have two legitimate stars in Harden and Durant. How Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving will all mix is, is a train wreck waiting to happen. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I unload Kyrie Irving to anybody who will take him. I don't care what you get back in return. Because Kyrie Irving is going to be nothing but a problem with the Brooklyn Nets if the guy ever returns. He's already been cited for having a huge birthday party with no mask on. He's missed the last eight to ten days for quote-unquote personal reasons. The guy doesn't want to play basketball. All he wants to do is cast the check. And if I'm the, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets owner, I do not pay the guy. I suspend him without pay. And I look to trade that guy as fast as I can trade him. Kevin Durant will be just fine with James Harden. The Nets will be a contender in the East, even with Harden and Durant. 
They did trade Karis LeVert and Jared Allen as part of this deal to Houston, as well as a boatload of number one picks. So if you're Houston, you had to make this move to get James Harden out of the building. He has basically quit on the team in Houston. So they did they did what they could do to get James Harden out of there. They also acquired Victor Oladipo as part of the deal in Houston. Who knows if he will re-sign with Houston. He is in the last year of his contract. But again, if you're Houston, you had to make this move. Uh, Harden was just was in, a, in an untenable situation there. Didn't want to be there. Um, and has forced his way to Brooklyn. So that's your breaking news. As we head into wild card week, or excuse me, divisional round weekend in the NFL, I'm going to give you my quick thoughts on the four divisional games. Let's first start Saturday in Green Bay. The Rams come to town to see the Packers, who who are on a bye. They're the one seed. The Rams with a very nice win last week in Seattle. When John Walford gets hurt early, Jared Goff comes in the game, stabilizes it. But this game was more about the Rams' defense and their ability to shut down Russell Wilson. A tremendous job shutting him down and that Seattle offense. Following the game, offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer was fired in Seattle. So, obviously, there were some philosophical differences between Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll in a lackluster performance by Russell Wilson in the playoffs. But, again, congratulations to the Rams. They head to Green Bay this weekend. Aaron Donald nicked up with a with an abdominal rib injury. You have uh, – Obviously, you don't. Jared Goff looks to like he's going to be the starter. Um, still, only two weeks after thumb surgery, so how effective can he be, especially in that uh, cold weather? It's probably going to be in the twenties in Green Bay. It doesn't look to be snow yet, but you never know how that weather can change up in Green Bay. I like the Packers here. The Packers are laying a touchdown, six and a half, seven points. I like Green Bay here at home. Um, both tee, if you want to tease the game or play the game straight up. I do like the Packers at home here uh, for them to potentially host the NFC Championship game. Second game on Saturday night in Buffalo might be the game of the weekend. You have Buffalo and Baltimore. Uh, Josh Allen and company for the Bills escaped last week against Phillip Rivers and the Colts. Uh, some very questionable uh, game management decisions by Frank Reich and the Colts. Not kicking a field goal early in the game towards the end of the first half from the four-yard line. Um, just some very suspect calls, um, play calling, that kind of stuff. Full credit to Buffalo for getting it done. Um, very questionable review that wasn't overturned by Al Riveron in New York on a fumble late in the game on the Colts' last drive. But the, but the Bills did end up stopping the Colts, which was kind of justice because they should have got a fumble recovery prior to the fourth down stop. So the Bills faced the Baltimore Ravens, who went to Tennessee, and Lamar Jackson exercised the Demons and got got it done in Tennessee uh, in a 20-13 win. He was tremendous running the ball last week, I think over 140 yards rushing. He was okay passing the ball, but the, tennis, uh, the Baltimore defense shut down Derrick Henry and really uh, stymied and neutralized Ryan Tannehill and company for the Titans. I like the Buffalo Bills here in a very good game. Buffalo's laying two and a half at home. I think the Bills figure out a way to get it done at home. I think Josh Allen making some plays outside of the pocket. Diggs, Beasley, John Brown. Um, no Zach Moss. Moss hurt his ankle. He's done for the playoffs at running back for Buffalo. I think you're going to have just enough of a, of, a, of a defensive effort by the Bills. 
I like Tredavious White matched up against Hollywood Brown. Um, and I think the Bills will figure out a way to contain Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. So give me Buffalo at home to advance to the AFC title game uh, next weekend against the Kansas City-Cleveland winner. So Kansas City is going to be hosting Cleveland Sunday afternoon in Arrowhead. Cleveland with a huge win in Pittsburgh last Sunday night with you know creating five turnovers, jumping out to that 28 to nothing lead in Pittsburgh. They held on. It got a little dicey there in the fourth quarter, but the Cleveland team did hang on. Give Baker Mayfield credit. He made a couple big plays. Had a big drive late in the fourth quarter to really put the game away. Chubb, Hunt, Jarvis Landry, good job out of the tight ends. Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, who missed last week's game, with as, as well as several of the assistant coaches, look to be back in, in line to return this weekend on the sidelines, which will help the play calling. Kansas City coming off the bye week. Lots of talk coming out of Kansas City. Is that defense good enough? They've won the, like the last seven or eight games of their of their winning streak have all been by by one score or less. So people are thinking, is this Kansas City team really legit? I think you're going to get a very good effort out of this Kansas City team coming off the bye. Remember, most of the big players, Mahomes, Kelsey, a lot of those guys did not play week 17. So they've really had two full weeks off going on three weeks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the, how the Chiefs play in that first quarter. Again, can can Cleveland put together another big performance, especially ball control, running the ball in Kansas City, Mayfield, and those running backs? Can they play keep away from Kansas City? I think Kansas City will find a way to get it done. Kansas City is a huge favorite, like a 10-point favorite. Uh, if anything, I would tease this game down. If I was playing playing the game, I would tease down Kansas City to either a pick em or minus four, depending on the kind of teaser you do. That would be the way I would go, but I do look for Kansas City to win the game. Sunday night, the battle of the Hall of Famers. Tom Brady, Drew Brees in the Superdome. A mega matchup for Aikman and Buck on Fox to wrap up divisional uh, weekend. Again, the Saints have beaten the Bucks. We've talked about it with Mike Neighbors earlier in the episode. But this will be the third meeting between the Bucks and the Saints. We broke it down with you with Mike Neighbors. I really think the Buccaneers are going to figure out a way to get it done and score a bunch of points here. Um, the offensive line has been playing much, much better, protecting Brady. One injury that we talked about, Alex Kappa, the right guard, out for the Bucs, broken ankle. Aaron Stinney will step in for him. But if the Buccaneers can keep Tom Brady upright, I definitely see the Buccaneers scoring a bunch of points. And I do think the Buccaneer defense will be able to come up with a couple of stops at critical times, Drew Brees and company. Devin White back in the lineup at middle linebacker for the Buccaneers. I think you'll see Shaq Barrett, JPP, have a couple of sacks, get, get home. And again, the blitzing of Todd Bowles. The, how, how do the Bucs handle Alvin Kamara out of the backfield, especially when the Bucs are blitzing, will be a major factor in this game. But give me the Buccaneers 31-24 in New Orleans to advance to the NFC title game up in Lambeau Field for another classic showdown, Brady and Rodgers to go to the Super Bowl. And then you're going to have Mahomes and Josh Allen, the youngsters on the other side of the bracket, to go to the Super Bowl. So give me the Bucks plus the three. I like it. 31-24 final. Bucks, Green Bay, Kansas City, Buffalo will be your AFC-NFC championship matchups on Championship Sunday. 
there you have it. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.